0: Before we get started, we just want to pray, Um, we just kind of focus, we had communion, we had offering, now as we prepare to break the word of bread, the word of life together, the bread of life, let's just pray and kind of calm ourselves before the Lord. I know there's a lot of stuff going on and come rushing in sometimes and we forget really to connect with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that we are about to open the word of life, the word that changes us. The word that shapes us and molds us and challenges us and gives us hope and shows us Jesus. And so, Father, today, would you would you just do all those things in our lives? Convict us, challenge us, encourage us, change us, and help us to see Jesus. And, Father, that we would leave today just different, changed people because we've spent time together in worship, time together in the word, time together in your presence. We thank you. ...for the supernatural thing that you do in our lives... ...as we gather in your name, in the name of Jesus. So we gather together, together this morning, and to do that. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, people often go to great lengths to get well. Uh, Maybe last week you saw Alex Trebek, the Jeopardy host... ...had announced he had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Uh, This was his brief statement. He said, now just like 50,000 other people in the United States each year... ...this week I was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer... He says, now normally the prognosis for this is not encouraging, but I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to keep working. And with the love and support of my family and friends, and with the help of your prayers also, I plan to beat the low survival statistics for this disease. Truth told, I have to, because under the terms of my contract, I have to host Jeopardy for three more years. So help me. Keep the faith, and we'll win. We'll get it done. Thank you. And in that statement, you can hear the the aggressiveness and the, the, the mindset of, of tackling this disease. Now, the question is, why don't we pursue spiritual healing the same way that we aggressively pursue physical healing? Why in our lives do we not aggressively pursue the things that are broken within us spiritually? Why don't we uh, seek spiritual healing uh, and, and sexual healing in the same tenacity that we seek healing for all other things? Why don't we pray and fast and ask God to mend the wounds that have been caused by sexual abuse? Why don't we ask God to rescue us from addictions? Why don't we ask God to heal us from the brokenness in our lives? Why don't we plead with the Lord for a fuller understanding of this metaphor of covenant love that marriage presents? Lord, I don't understand it all, but help me to understand it. We are desperate to keep our bodies alive, but we seem apathetic to keep our spirits alive. And it takes aggressiveness. Most Christians have never heard that God can and does heal sexual wounds, that God does heal sexual brokenness, that God does heal those spiritual places in our lives. You see, Jesus came not primarily to heal our bodies, but in Isaiah 61, that Jesus quoted, what does he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What's he talking about? That prison of sin, the bound and the bondage that uh, those sins have in our lives. In, in Luke four eighteen is where he quotes that. He says, the spirit is on me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Are you oppressed this morning? Are you feel do you feel stuck in something? Have you recognized the things in your life that are broken and needed healing? Those things that are not honoring to God. Those things that are, are, are far less than our best that we have to offer God. Listen, we will die a physical death, and Jesus came what to heal and redeem both but we don't have the redemption of our physical bodies until the resurrection. We're going to celebrate that. Well, every Sunday we celebrate that as we come around the Lord's table. But in the in between time, we can have that what? Spiritual feeling? We can have that spiritual freedom, the, the release from the oppression. One is temporary. The other is spiritual. Our bodies are temporary until we get those new bodies, right? And every day you wake up with aches and pains and... Uh, sniffles and the snuffles and all those things, you say, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm going to get a new body someday. It isn't right now, but someday. And whenever you are creaking and cranking and all those things, you say, Lord, I thank you for the promise that one day, right? But in our spirits, we say, Lord, I thank you for the promise that that can be today, that I can be set free and released today. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Then he talks about about the temporal and the eternal. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both. One and the other. The body is not meant... For sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body and god raised the lord and will also raise us up by his power so paul says in first corinthians 6 there's this conflict between the temporal and the eternal and there's this there's a struggle between what we have in this flesh now what we will be in the flesh but inside of us is this spirit that can be redeemed redeemed read how i love to proclaim right? The Spirit has set me free. Now, it's a lot easier to do something when you know how to do something. If you have cancer, you know what you need to do. You know if you have high blood pressure, you know what you need to do to lower your blood pressure. Um, If you want to reduce the wrinkles on your face, you have to buy some kind of cream, right? If you want to lose Uh, weight, you have to do uh, certain things, right? So we we know all the stuff about our bodies, but what pill can you take to erase the impact of infidelity? What pill can you take to undo the harm of your past, to erase your past? You see, there's no chemotherapy, there's no pill, there's no ointment that's going to take care of those things. So what do we do? I'm going to give you just three things today for not just sexual healing, but any kind of brokenness we experience in our lives, that if you want to be free, if you want to uh, not be oppressed anymore, these are just some basic, uh, simple spiritual truths. one is this. We need to pursue God's truth. Now, Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? God's word goes where nothing else can go. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then Isaiah 55.11 says this, God says, 'So, So shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty... But it shall accomplish the purpose for which I send it. And it will succeed in the thing for which I send it. Now, that is a great promise today. As we are reading God's words, God's word is what? Going out from the scripture into us. And and you know what the promise is? The promise is it's going to do what I send it to do. Now, do we really believe these verses? What if I said, for the word of Oprah is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword? Or what if I said all of Sanjay Gupta's words are breathed out by God and profitable for teaching? Or what if I say, so shall Tony Evans' word that goes out of his mouth not return empty? When we substitute humans, it doesn't have the same power, does it? We don't believe these verses, but only when it refers to the source of truth, which is God's word. We believe these verses when it says God's word is living... All scripture, so shall my... We believe those. We don't believe it when somebody's name's attached to it. But we believe it when it is attached to God. Why? Because it's true. His word does what it's supposed to do. God's word is so powerful because it's the timeless truth of God himself. Jesus says something very sobering in Luke chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking uh, to uh, to those who who know God's word. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, the opposite of that is what? God, who is the author of truth, he is the the one that all truth comes from. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he said we need to be careful. Even Satan himself disguised himself as an angel of light. And so sometimes what sounds good isn't the truth from God... ...because it it looks good, but we're not quite sure what God's truth is. Satan vandalizes our sexuality and leaves the calling card of lies. That's what happens. Think about in all of our sin, what Satan does is he deceives us... ...and then what's left is... Lies. We believe the lies. We don't believe God's word. We believe the lies. We believe lies such as God can never fully forgive you. You're going to be unforgiven the rest of your life. We believe the lies that say God doesn't love you. Or the lie that God is withholding something good from you. Or the lie that no one will ever truly love me. Or the lie God just made me this way. You see, lies feel real. They feel truer than truth sometimes. And when we're stuck in those patterns and we believe the lie, doesn't it feel real? Like it, it, when we believe something that's false, our our blood pressure can go up, and our hearts race, and we start sweating, and we become anxious. Remember, a few months ago, there was a false alarm in Hawaii that a missiles had been launched from North Korea. Now, now, was it the truth? No, it was a lie. But if I believed it, what's going to happen? I'm going to panic and my blood pressure is going to go up and I'm going to become worried. So even though it feels real, it's not really real. Only God's word is true. You see, the only way to be set free from a lie is to what? Know the truth. The only way to be set free from the father of lies is know the father of truth which is God himself. You see, most of the sins and troubles in our lives are because of lies we believe. Now think about, in your life, it's a lie we believe about us, a lie we believe about how the world works, or a lie that we, about who we believe God is. So our sins and our troubles, at the root of those, is something that we believe that's not true. You are worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. You're, nev- you're never going to be set free from this... You, you are stupid. You know, all the things that we've been told from others or from Satan or even ourselves, and what happens when we believe those and we hold on to those, it feels like it's the truth. Oh, you're right. I am a loser. I never do anything right. I always mess up. I'll never amount to anything. I'm no good for nothing. No one will ever love me. Those are what? Lies that we believe. We also believe lies like you deserve to be happy. So do whatever you need to do to be happy. Or lies like this. Well, God understands. You can do whatever you want. God understands. Or everyone's doing it. So why not join in the fun? You're missing out on the fun. You see, personal problems begin with a wrong belief, which leads to wrong behaviors and feelings, which deny us the deep satisfaction of meeting our deep personal needs. We created in God's image. We have some deep personal needs. Our deepest need is to be loved. To be known. To be accepted. And only God can do that in our lives. And when we substitute that for anything else, it'll let us down. When I look for someone else to, to, to uh, validate my worth, there's going to come a time when they don't validate it. Because they're only human. When I look for someone else to validate my need for love, what I become is I become this black hole of love. I just suck the life out of everyone around me. And they only have so much they can give. But I need it and I want it. Remember, all of those longings are what? A metaphor for God. It should direct us upward instead of out to others. And so our personal problems begin with a lie we believe about something and it feels very real. I believe that I have no value in my life without a relationship. I need to have a relationship. And so what I'm doing is I'm believing a lie. If we're in order for me to be whole, I have to be with somebody. Now you tell me what's going to happen with that kind of a lie. I'm going to take the first a per, uh, person with a pulse that's walking down the street, right, to validate me. See what happens? So think about in your life. Are there places where you're believing a lie about who you are, about, about what God says you are, about what the, what the world tries to tell you that you are? Rosaria Butterfield says this, How does the Lord heal? The way he always does. The word of God has to be bigger inside than I. The the word of God has to be bigger inside of us than I'm inside of me. So there's only so much room in me. And so God's word has to push out all the other stuff so that what? I am pursuing his truth and I'm living in his truth. There's this really cool verse in Isaiah 28. Uh, Turn back to Isaiah chapter uh, 28. And we'll look at this. It's uh, uh, the Pew Bibles. We're using those and the numbers in the bulletin, 589, if, if you're looking for it. But there's this verse in Isaiah 28 that we, we kind of skim over a little bit. And here's what it says. Dill, in verse 27, Isaiah 28:27. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And you're like, what in the world is Isaiah talking about? Here's what Isaiah is talking about. There are some right ways to do things and some wrong ways to do things. You thresh and you uh, you uh, have a harvest of cumin differently than you do with dill. You got to uh, beat dill with a stick. But if you are... Uh, doing grain, what happens if you keep going over it, you end up with nothing. And so what Isaiah says is, Isaiah says there is a proper working for things. That's how God created it. There just is. That's truth of how the world works. And where does it come from? Verse 29, what does he say? This comes from the Lord. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. When I pursue God's truth, what I'm doing is, I am looking at how did God design this world ...to work. And then when I do it... ...the way he designed it to work... ...is when I find the truth in my life. You see, we were created. And your createdness... ...and how you were created... ...as a male or as a female... ...has implications in the real world. Our our createdness... ...how God has designed us... ...means that how we live then... ...in the real world... ...has to go with that design... Now, I can go against the design, but what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says, you're going to end up and there's going to be nothing. There's no no fulfillment, and there's there's no goodness that comes from that. Function follows form in God's creation. I look at the form, how did he create it? And then I say, oh, here's how he created it, and so here's how it needs to work. We often in our culture want to now go function, and then we squeeze the form to follow the function. I want to do what I want with whomever I want, however I want, as many times as I want. That's the function. And so I'm going to squeeze any forms I can into that. That's the culture in the world. The father of lies has sold us a bill of goods that says you do whatever you want and there'll be no implications. Why do you think people... We talked about the hookup culture... Why do you think people, no matter what they tell themselves, that this is, this is nothing, there's no, there's no connection, why do you think they feel miserable afterwards? Now, they would say, well, it's just because of society. It's because of the church. If you people would just quit talking about that, I wouldn't feel so bad. But that's a lie. You would still feel bad because that's how God designs you. You can't get around the design of your life. You can't continue with the cumin and the dill and the wheat, misusing it and want it to come out good. It's just not going to happen. And so Isaiah reminds us that there's a function and when we pursue God's truth. And so what I'm pursuing God's truth means, I look at this world, how he created it, how he designed it, what he tells me it's like. When we elevate ourselves to deity, we define our own truth. Someone said we actually become devils. When I try to become deity myself and I try to define truth that this is right and this is wrong, I end up becoming a devil. Why? Because the devil is the father of lies and I'm not living in the truth. If there is a God, then this God is personal. It's not an it. He's not a force. He's not some zappy thing out in the universe. And if this God is personal, that means we're created in his image. We are personal as well. And because we are personal, there is a truth about us... ...that cannot be known apart from his revelation of himself. That's his word. I can't know about God. Now, the heavens declare the glory of God. I, I look out. But they're the illustration. That's not the textbook. The textbook is here. So how do I know that God placed all those stars in place? Because the word tells me. And so what the word says, I go out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's right. And so in our lives, what God has told us about himself is truth. The second thing, if I want to be free from oppression, if I want to be released, is I need to personally know Jesus. Secondhand knowledge of God isn't enough. I don't need to hear you tell me God loves me. I need to hear him tell me he loves me. And I have uh, heard stories of people over and over the years. ...who say, I I don't understand that God loves me. Now they can tell a hundred people, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But isn't it different when somebody tells you that God loves you... ...as opposed to having God tell you directly, I love you. When we spend time in His Word and we spend time uh, hearing from Him... ...what's God saying? God's saying, I love you. I, I want you to personally know me. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And he came and he says in John one twenty nine, ...behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Start looking to Him, John the Baptist said... ...and stop looking at me. And when I stop looking at the people around me... ...to give me only what God can give me... My lo- ...I'm going to be released. And I'm going to find freedom... And God won't disappoint me. God won't, won't let me down. But when I look to other people and I say, I want you to be my Jesus. I'm putting a weight on them. They were not designed to bear. I will crush them. And I will be crushed in the process. What if the enemy's entire purpose in all the sexual brokenness that we see in our world is ultimately about separating us from really knowing Jesus? Jesus. What if the enemy's whole purpose of all the things that we see broken in our world... ...when it comes to sexuality, the ultimate goal is to keep us from Jesus? Not knowing him personally. Jesus, you don't know what I've done. I'm going to stay away. Of not knowing his forgiveness and his love and all the things that he can do in my life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh... For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's how we fight. We personally know Jesus. It's the knowledge of God. You see, Satan's ultimate strategy is not to distort sexuality. His ultimate strategy is to sabotage the gospel. That's his, ultimate, that's his ultimate strategy. He, Satan doesn't care who you, uh, who you go to bed with, when you go to bed. What he's trying to do is a deeper thing, and that's to sabotage the gospel. And the gospel is this. We have a good God who has designed us, who loves us who has, because he has the truth and we live our lives according to that, we will find the ultimate fulfillment and purpose in our lives. And Satan wants none of that for us. I'm going to try to keep you from Jesus, from knowing Jesus. He's interested in keeping us from the truth of the capital T in the person of Jesus. You see, healing is more than an absence of symptoms. We often think physically, whew, I don't have the symptoms anymore. I'm not sneezing and coughing and I don't have a fever So now I am healed. But spiritually, what is true healing? Healing is a connection with God. It's personally knowing Jesus. That's that's what the ultimate healing is. Knowing Jesus is the difference between your knowledge of a celebrity and how you know your best friend. I can know a celebrity from a distance. And and you can follow them on Instagram, and I see all those. but, But I don't really know them. But I know my best friend. I know my spouse. I know my kids, right? That's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Jeremiah 29 13, this is a great promise. You need to listen. You will seek me, the Lord says, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a promise there that God says, when you seek me, you are going to find me. Look what what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. Jesus says this, Um, Matthew 9, um, let's start at verse 9. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the task booth, and he says to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many task collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You got to love Jesus. He didn't push sinners away. He ate with them. That's the truth about Jesus. And the only way I know that about Jesus is to personally Know him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, And these are great words to us those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I would also add, Those who are in denial have no need of a physician. Ah, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. But Jesus said what? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' whole purpose in coming was to call sinners. And that's all of us. We're all all in that category when it comes to God's holiness. You know what Jesus does? He stands up for sinners. That's us. He came to heal the spiritually sick. He came to heal the prostitutes and the thieves and the tax collectors. He talked to them. He loved them. We are the ones who need a doctor. And Miss Peggy. But we are the ones who need a doctor. And that's why we're here today. Because we understand we need a doctor. We need a great physician. And so I personally know Jesus. Listen, when you personally know Jesus, you're going to want to run to him. Why would you run away? It's because of a lie we believe. What's the lie? He'll never accept you. You're not good enough. Well, look at you. Who are you compared to this person? You, Jesus only accepts people like this over here. But what, is he, what do we find in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus ate with what? The task collectors and the sinners. So personally know Jesus. Third way we're free, spiritually healed, is to obey God's word. Listen, we live in a time when our feelings dictate the truth. Someone once said a major antagonist in our century is this, a right of choice mentality. We all believe we can choose what we want, when we want, how we want and have it be the truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, only those who believe obey, is what we say to the part of the believer's soul which obeys, and only those who obey believe, is what we say to that part of the soul of the obedient which believes. He says in the first half of the proposition, if that stands alone, the believer is exposed to the danger of cheap grace, which is another word for damnation. But if the second half stands alone, the believer is exposed to the danger of salvation, through works, which is also a form of damnation, and so if I if I say those who who believe obey, and those who obey believe, that brings it together. So that way, I'm just not be- always just believing and not and not obeying. But on the other side, I can just obey and say, Lord's going to accept me because of my obedience. It's always those two working together. Rosaria Butterfield says this: sin is not a mistake. A mistake is taking the wrong exit on the highway. A sin is treason against a holy God. A mistake is a logical misstep. Sin lurks in our hearts and grabs us by the throat to do its bidding. What happens when we get caught in a sin? I made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. A mistake was you didn't know what the square root of 35 was. You chose to do the thing you did. That's why you're pregnant. You chose to do the thing you did, that's why you're, you're separated. You chose to do the thing you did, that's why you feel guilt and shame. It wasn't a mistake. Now, it may happen like that, and it may go by so fast, but obedience comes before understanding. Do you want to know more about God? Obey. If I want to know about God's generosity, I obey. If I want to know about God's forgiveness, I forgive. If I want to know, uh, who God, the more I obey of God is the more that I know of him. There's this hermeneutics of obedience in John 7, verse 17. Jesus says this, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If you want to know if God's teaching is from him, do it. I don't have to sit around and wrestle and argue and say, Well, I'm what? I'm not sure what this is. Just step out in faith and obey. And Jesus says, if you, if, if you want to know whether God's word is truth, you have to do it. Theorizing about it, sitting around discussing it until we're blue in the it doesn't we don't know until we do it. And then what happens? I just threshed the grain. I just did the cumin. I just did the dill according to the way God said. And guess what? It works. Many of you have those testimonies. And I've heard testimonies. You've heard them too. He said, you know what? I was in a tough spot or I did something and I obeyed God's word. And guess what? Here I am today. It works. Instead of praying sometimes for healing of sin. You know what the Bible calls us to do? The Bible calls us to repent. We look at our lives and we say, Lord, I've got this sin. Would you please take it away? And God said, that's not the answer. You need to repent. That's how you're going to be free from this thing repentance is how we find the spiritual healing because what do i do all so what do i do i have this thing in my life where i'm just so bound up and i'm oppressed right i have all these things and i keep saying lord take this away lord take this away where am i placing the blame for my life it's in the lord you're not taking this away so now i've got this sin in my life and the bible's prescription for sin is to repent i change my mind and it results in a change of behavior actually says this repent for and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord instead of praying for God to take it away he's asking for us to obey I can spend all my life say Lord take this away and what God is saying is I want you to obey you do it my way and then it will be out of the way And so He calls us to do that. Here's the promise of Jesus. Look at John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. In John chapter 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who have believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples. You will know the truth, and what does it say? And the truth will set you free. What do lies do? Lies always keep us in bondage. But the truth... Will set us free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now you gotta, you gotta you gotta love the humor in this response. They are living in the Roman Empire under the authority of the Roman Empire. They are slaves to the Roman Empire, and they are saying, We've never been slaves to anyone. They're in denial, right? It's the truth that will set them free. So Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of the conditions is that we abide in his word. There's, there's those promises that come from the Lord. There's those, there's those if-then statements. And there's a lot of those in the Bible. If you forgive others, then you will be forgiven. If you confess your sins, right? And so here Jesus gives us another one. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We live and we are constantly in it. Not just reading it, but obeying it. But the category of freedom is this. It's freedom from sin. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus wasn't saying when you know the truth that all of a sudden the Roman Empire is just going to leave you alone. That's not what he said. And in fact, that never happened in fact, AD seventy, the Roman Empire came in and destroyed the place. So it's a spiritual. Remember, we're in this. We're in this in-between world. We got that spiritual healing. The physical is going to come later, but it's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's the promise of Jesus. The promise is that the truth will set us free. When I know Him and I know His truth, and then I don't live according to the lies that I'm believing. In my life. Wouldn't you like that kind of freedom? I mean, woo wee Who does not want that kind of freedom? The truth is quite different that Jesus is talking about than what most people think today. It takes God, it takes God to dictate the truth rather than our own personal feelings and ambitions. How many times have you wanted to do something, but when the time came you said, I don't feel like it i don't feel like it right All we do that often don't we it's really tough in the winter it gets dark early and it's cold and it's icy and we were going to plan to do something and it gets to that time and it's like 10 degrees outside and we're just like i don't feel like it do you notice how we never say i don't think like it it's i don't feel like it you need to go to the grocery store to get groceries oh I don't feel like it. Until the other feeling of hunger overrides your feeling of not wanting to go, and then we'll go. You see what happens? One desire is greater than, and we're just like this pinball, bounce back and forth through our lives of feeling to desire, to ambition. But the truth of God is what he tells us in his word. It's it's the world how he designed it. And there's an order. What did Jesus say would come first? Their freedom or knowing the truth? Knowing the truth. I, he says, you know the truth, then you are set free. Today we have reversed the conditions. We see freedom as the condition necessary to pursue the truth. You just let me be whatever I want to be, and I'm gonna find my truth. And we always end up in bondage. We always end up hurting other people. What if my what if my desire For freedom is to just be a jerk. What if I just want to cuss at everybody that I see and just call everybody ugly that I run into? That's that's my truth. I just need the. I just that's my truth. And now I'm going to be free to do that. What's going to happen? I'm going to end up getting hurt. I'm going to probably have a black eye, get knocked out. But I'm going to hurt other people. And but our world is telling us that. You just have, you first find your freedom. You do whatever you want to do. You just be who you want to be. And then you'll find the truth for yourself. Now we laugh about that when it comes to things like anger. We would never let somebody be angry. What if, what if uh, somebody, uh, we have situations with uh, people with alcohol. I just want the freedom to drink as much as I want. And drive if I want. That's my truth. Then I'll find my truth. But what happens is we end up in the, world, in the real world where real people get hurt, where we get true, real arrests for DUI. See how that works? My truth didn't matter for anything when it got out into the real world. And when it comes to our sexuality and our culture, that's, that's a mantra that we hear over and over. I just want to be who I feel that I am and that's my truth. And Jesus said... You have to know the truth first and then you will be free. There can no there can there cannot be any freedom without truth. The truth is this. We drive on the right side of the road. If everybody wants to determine their own truth, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be one accident after another. It's going to be confusion. There's going to be people hurt. And yet, in our lives, spiritually, we're talking about rethinking sexuality, we say, I just want to do what I want to do, and that's my truth, and it just leads to chaos. If we have a room full of people doing everything that they want, whenever they want, how they want, it's going to be a madhouse. You see, Jesus goes one step further. What does he say? He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we need to end with this. The Son is the truth that sets us free. It's Jesus who sets us free. Maybe you struggle with the connection between truth and freedom. And so here's what happens. Jesus, because of his resurrection, and his claim that his death was the penalty and the payment for our sins, his resurrection says, see, I told you everything that I said was true. If I say that I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to sit, call the sick. If I say Son, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and walk. How how do people know that that's the truth? Well, I am going to die, but I'm going to resurrect from the dead. And that is my validation of what I said is true. Jesus, the, the Son of God, paid an immeasurable price for us all. And if something's value is determined by its price, then Jesus' payment demonstrates that each one of us is immeasurably valuable. Your your value is determined by the price. And what's the price? The Son of God gave up His life for you. That's how much you're worth. You are worth something because you're created in God's image. But there are those moments when we believe the lies that we are not worth anything, that we have no value, that we have no meaning. Listen, you need to hear me say this. Your value is measured by the price that's been paid for you, and the price that's been paid for you is the life of Jesus. What else could compare? You see, Jesus' payment provides us with the freedom from, the, from sin, and His resurrection provides us with life to be free than what we were intended to be. The truth comes first. Truth has to be personal if it's to touch our minds and our hearts. It has to be personal. That's why truth is a person. Water boils at 100 degrees centigrade at sea level. 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level. Now, that's helpful information if you're a chemist and if you're cooking pasta. But it's not going to help you fall asleep tonight when your mind is anxious and running. That information isn't going to help you when you are caught up in the lies of the enemy. You see, truth has to be personal before it touches our lives. Alex Trebek hosts Jeopardy. And what is Jeopardy? It's all about, what, information. It's all about things... But we don't connect with that because it's not personal. How many of you, when you heard Alex Trebek has stage 4 pancreatic cancer, went, oh, that's really sad. Like that's... Why? Because it's personal. There's a face there. You see, in Jesus, we have both the truth that satisfies our quest, and we have the personality who satisfies our need for connection. We have both in Jesus. We need to know the truth, but we're also designed for connection. We're also designed for relationship. So he secures our freedom to be what we were intended to be... ...sacred beings in relationship with the divine. That's what God created us to be. Beings that are sacred to be in relationship with the divine. That is what we were... That's that's the truth of our existence. Jesus doesn't claim to have the truth... What does he do? He claims to be the very truth that sets us free. Do you know Jesus? I mean, it all comes down to him. Do you know him, truth, personally? It's one thing to know about all this stuff. But to know Jesus personally satisfies the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. For far too long, we've been believing lies about what's going to bring us happiness, what's going to bring us success, What's going to bring us validation? What's going to bring us worth? Well, you know, if you just get that new car, your friends will be so jealous. If you get, if you just get that promotion, your coworkers are going to now admire you. If you just, if you, if you get married, you're going to be elevated, right? We look for all those things, and Jesus says, "Wait, those, those are not going to fulfill the deepest longings in your life. Those are lies that you're believing. I am the truth that sets you free." Do you know Jesus? We have a time of prayer, a time of commitment, a time of challenge. And here's the truth. When I repent and I run home to the Lord, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't slam the door shut. He doesn't change the locks and turn off the lights and pull down the shades and pretend he's not home. What's the promise that we have? If you seek me, you will what? Find me. It's time to seek him. It's time to come home running. Listen, The Bible says we have all been prodigal sons and we've all been prodigal daughters. Every one of us. We talked about humility last week. And what the church needs is a big dose of humility. We've all wandered away. And no one's wandering is worse than another's wandering. We've all done it. And now it's time to come home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of Jesus. The truth of your word. And just knowing that the truth sets us free... And Father, we have been caught up in the lies of the enemy. Things that we believe about ourselves that you have never said. Things that we believe others have told us that you have never said. Things that we believe about how the world works... that's not the way that you actually created it and designed it to work. And each time we just run into these roadblocks... and we run into these things. And Father, all we can do... Is just, is just stand with our eyes heavenward and nothing in our hands, but say, Lord, I surrender to you. With our arms open, outstretched to you, we say, Lord, thank you that you're the truth that sets us free. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, how the gospel is written in everything in life. points us to him if we allow it the Father, over these next few moments, would you minister to us as we establish that truth in our lives to seek Jesus, to obey your word, and to find the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.